This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that desperately wants to believe that the pollies are doing it all for the right reasons, but is finding it bloody hard. I'm Andrew Page, and with me, Mr. Scott Phillips. G'day, Andrew. G'day, fools. It must be almost budget time. That is that is the clue in that little teaser there. But I'm sure there's going to be something else to talk about. There's, well, there's always stuff <laughs> to talk about in the land of money. Shall we then? Shall we? Let's talk a bit about media. We talked about 10 last week. We did. They were in a bit of trouble. It's not getting any better, either. And, and now Fairfax. Yeah. Well, Fairfax has been doing it tough for a while, but the uh, journos are on strike. What does that mean? We're going to talk about the banks as well. A couple of them have come out with their earnings, and of course it's an increase, but a little bit soft there, so is the party over? And we're going to talk a bit about iron ore, everyone's favourite metal. It's uh, <laughs> Really? I don't know. Uh, uh, iron is a girl's best friend, as they say. what they say. It's why my wife is so lucky with her iron ring. <laughs> Um, is it time to buy, though? Last time we had a big plummet. Turned out to be the case. Well, we'll talk a bit about that as well. But let's start with Fairfax, shall I don't we? we? Um, From the sublime? So, <laughs> the sublime to the ridiculous. We talked a bit about 10, as I said last week. Yep. Shares there down, what, 99% or something crazy from yeah, their all-time high. Yeah. Um, look, the last 10 years for Fairfax uh, hasn't been wonderful. I think, on average, you probably would have lost close to 10% per year. Yeah. Having said that, the last little while has been okay. Shares are up 27% in the last Even year. a dead cat. Even a dead cat will bounce. We've got to talk about some of these uh, share market sayings in a Indeed, future podcast. Yeah, that's good idea. Um, and that's one of them and, and, and as bizarre as many of the others. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, it, it, has come, it has come back a little bit here. But um, uh, Fairfax announced a, a series of, of cuts. Um, not the first and maybe not the last either. In fact, I think they're getting rid of, a, what is it, a quarter yep. of, uh, of their... 25% of the newsroom Jeez across Louise. the country. Yep. Yep. Now, they've, they've kind of got to do something, right? You, you are, you're bleeding red ink. Yep. Um, it, you know, um, it's always preferable to just improve the top line, but they're having a hell of a tough time with that. So you've got to cut some costs. And here's the thing. Not only are Fairfax cutting costs, but Channel 10's newsroom is rumoured to be being taken over by Sky News. Of course, Rupert Murdoch owns right. Sky News yep. and is a major shareholder in 10 mm. uh, through Lachlan, I believe. Mm. There's a very decent chance that 10's newsroom is also going. So you think about, you know, one of our three big freeway networks, mm. one of our largest newspaper businesses, yeah. and in both cases, frankly, old media isn't paying and news is being cut as a result. Yeah. And 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 from a certain hard-nosed financial perspective, it makes sense, right? You, you, there's just not the money there. You've got to cut costs, right? If you don't, you're just going to be losing more and more money and you're going to be forced out one way or the other. The trouble is, of course, is that when your whole raison d'etre is, <laughs> exactly. is to produce journalism, yeah, if yeah. you don't have the... And, and journalism, I think it's a pretty fair, unbiased comment to say that journalism has has... The quality has deteriorated. These these journos are under more and more pressure to produce more and more content, more and more quickly, and it's just really, really hard to do. It's particularly things like investigative journalism and the rest of it. Yeah, I think so, I think it's fair to say the the, quality, the the average quality has fallen as more fluffers come up. I think there are yeah. still some really high quality journos. So I wouldn't I wouldn't want listeners to think that we're saying that the quality journos are doing worse work. Oh, what so we're saying is on average there is simply mm. less quality journalism going around. And it's harder to do quality journalism right, as right. well. Now, we know? should say we have relationships with both Fairfax and, and Sky News. So we've mentioned both of those. So uh, both of us are contributors on different in different occasions to both those news outlets. So uh, so fair fair disclosure there. Well, we're doing our part, mate. We don't get paid for that. So <laughs> exactly. you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, so here's the, here's the challenge to your point. Look, back in the day, 
there was, you know, the, the newspaper survived on classifieds. The journalism that they did yeah. was kind of almost a lost leader, right? They kind yeah. of did this journalism to fill the front third of the paper. Yep. So the classifieds, the cartoons, and the sport could do the rest. The, the rivers of gold. Exactly. Yep. The classifieds, rivers yeah. of gold. Now yep. that's gone away. Seek, realestate.com, mm. um, uh, carsales.com.au. There is there are so many other places now those classifieds go. Mm. Other than the, the the big real estate liftouts, the big glossy color photos, that's pretty much all the classifieds that are left in the mainstream, you know, metropolitan newspapers these days. And so Fairfax is looking at their business, saying, well, how do we keep, you know, costs of printing are going up, yeah, journalists journalist costs are going up, your staff costs are going up, everyone wants a pay rise, sure. And yet you've got a scenario where simply fewer people are going to those metropolitan papers because you don't need it for the classifieds anymore, and there is so much other free news available. Yeah. The challenge for Fairfax is to is to stay relevant. Yeah. Now, ten on the other hand, similar problem. Viewers are going somewhere else. There was there was a time mm. when everybody on a Sunday night sat down and watched six o'clock news. Mm. We all watched one of the three major channels. We got our news from the same places. We got our entertainment from the same places. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, the Simpsons took Channel Ten. So I'm not sure about number one, but certainly amongst its main demographic, that Huge sixteen success. to thirty five year olds did yep. spectacularly well. Yep. Now all of a sudden, kind of we go ever, everywhere else for our media, whether it's Netflix, mm. whether it's YouTube, mm. whether it's you know, whatever else we want to go and go and find our stuff. And so 10 as the, as the third of three commercial networks in terms of viewership and, and, and ratings mm. is really struggling to get enough cost, enough revenue, I should say, to cover those really significant fixed costs. It's, it, it's really tough, isn't it? So the business model has to pivot here. And there's, there's really sort of broadly speaking, there's two kind of models here. One, it's still free to access, uh, besides buying the paper, free to access the Herald or the Age or whatever online. Correct. Um, but they, they get some ad revenue from mm-hmm. that. So again, you, it's all about attracting the eyeballs as yep. well. Um, this is really sort of depressing when you you look at um, your outlook for humanity. But you know what works when it comes to eyeballs? <laughs> it's stories of UFOs. It's stories of Kardashians. It's all uh-huh. of the real gutter kind of stuff. But that just works, right? So that's what they do. Um, so there's that model. The other model is a subscription model. Yep. Um, and I guess a third one is a blend of the two, which is kind of what um, a few of them do. Yeah. Um, but as you say, it's hard to it's hard to get people to open their wallets when they can get this news source. Yep. News, you know, it's news from so many, a variety of different places. Yep. So what are they, what, okay, I, I'm going to make you CEO of Fairfax. Um, you hate me that much, do you? <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> um, uh, poison chalice. What What would you do? Mate, I, I, I'm glad I'm put you on, I put you on the no, spot. No, no, no. It, 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 the, the, the honest answer, I don't know. I mean, I have immense sympathy for the, the journos who are saying, we're trying to do our best work here to keep politicians honest, to keep big business honest, to be the voice and the conscience of the society. The, the fourth estate, as fourth it's called. Estate, yeah. you know, it's, it's a really necessary part of functioning democracy. Mm. So, you, you know. But you're, we, you're there for shareholders. I mean, not to put a, too fine a point on it. You're not, well, there, for, you're not yeah. there for democracy and society. You're, you're, you're there for shareholders. Which is exactly the problem. And that's, right. that's why in the past... You know, journalism has flourished on the back of those classified revenues. Mm. The problem is that people aren't, there are fewer viewers who pay for Foxtel yep. than people who watch free-to-air TV. Yeah. There are fewer people who pay for for, news, for, for subscription newspapers mm. versus those who simply buy it because they want the classifieds or the sport or the whatever. Yep. In terms of, you know, we, we, at the end of the day, we're all very selfish people. And so we all might say, it's like the Made in Australia thing, right? You ask mm. people, do you want Made in Australia? 90% of people say yes. Yeah. And then when it comes to what they actually buy, I buy the cheap stuff. Holden's China. closing down, yeah. Ford's closing down, Pacific Brands who made Bonds, Undies, and other things went overseas mm. because people said they wanted to buy Australia, but never actually did. Yeah. So you got this real big problem. Uh, here's what I would do: I would have a high quality subscription paywall service mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for those who wouldn't wanted to pay for it, mm-hmm. and I'd have a clickbaity front end for those who didn't. So yeah. taking the Sydney Morning Herald, we're in Sydney here. Up, yep. I would say right, let's make the front end. If people want to click on those stories, then who am I not to give them to them? Right. I'll do that. Yeah. But for those people who want the the quality and who will pay for it then I'll give them that part of it behind the paywall. And I'd almost have 
you know, better Jekyll and Hyde, two parts of the business. You, you blend it, of course. Mm. But but the reality is I would I would keep the, the stuff people want to see, the really kind of attractive stuff at the front. Mm. But also, too, you need to you, you need to pivot the types of people. You look at the buzz feeds of the world mm. um, who have who have done a blend of super clickbait and yep. some good quality journalism stuff. Yep. And I think the combination of that, uh, Mark Stefano, for example, their, their politics guy, um, does a really good job of making it really attractive, easy to read, easy to understand, but serious political journalism. I think that's the future is... Keep it entertaining, keep it enjoyable and engaging, but also make those serious points. That is going to be, I think, the future of journalism. If it's going to survive as a quality news source, mm. it needs to be done in a way that gets people's attention, makes it worth their while reading, but also keeps them entertained at the same time. Would you suggest that it needs to become more niche-focused as well? I think the AFR, the Australian Financial Review, is a good case. And that's actually doing rather well, or relatively very well. Yeah. Um, in the sense that, you know, we, we pay our subscriptions for that. It and is, it's expensive. It, it's very expensive. Yeah. What do we pay? Like six hundred bucks a year, yeah, or something, something like that. Like that. Might have been more than I think. Um, for for that's the hard copy and the uh, and digital. access yep. uh, for digital. Yep. Um, but it is it, it's very focused. You know, it's it's for the the investment money kind of nerds yeah, and yeah. and people who are prepared to sort of pay for that and they kind of own that space. So is that is that a strategy as well? Just to really do you, do you have do you break things up into this is the sports mm. portal, this is the business portal, is which that is kind a, of what's up with classifiers, right? To, right. to your point before. Uh, I, I struggle, Andrew. I have a, I, 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 journalism only kind of, so on, on, a, on a public policy perspective, journalism only works when lots of people read it. If only 45 people who really, really desperately love it, read it and pay a fortune for it, mm. you don't get the benefit for society of that, of that quality journalism. So to your point, as a shareholder, yeah. probably that's, that's probably the strongest answer. Yeah. Frankly, I think the hardest part of that is that it, it undermines the very role of journalism in keeping the bastards honest, quite frankly. Okay. Last question on this oh, and we'll yeah. move on. Uh, Fairfax Media, uh, ASX code FXJ, yes. buy or sell? I don't get the hold. Uh, yeah, you can hold. If, you, if you're already, yeah, okay, you've, you've got some shares, you can get rid I of them, you can buy some more. If it was up to me, I would say, I would. I think Fairfax is a speculative buy, let me put it out speculative there. Speculative buy. And okay. the reason is I think uh, if, you, if you're a punter, domain as a as the real estate business has right. some significant value. That's true. And that's, that's very that's true. That's possibly worth up to almost the entire market cap of Fairfax. Yeah. So yep. if you separate those businesses and say, this is a journalism, you know, print media, old school business, plus an online new age real estate mm. portal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the combination of both together is reasonably potentially attractive. There's big downside. So the reason I say speculative is there is a big downside risk. If they screw this up, it could yeah. fall by 50, 75%. So oh, this is not one for the faint-hearted. Yeah. It's not one of our recommendations for exactly that reason. Yeah. But I do tend to think it might possibly have a chance of doing well because specifically, ironically, because mm-hmm. the non-journalism part, the domain part is relatively attractive. Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably the best case you can make. For me, it's it's probably a sell just because I, I kind of tend to put it in the two hard basket. Yeah. The, the, the turnaround play is, is always a tough one. So there you have it. Cool. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's go to banks. Um, <laughs> From the sublime again. To the, yeah, that's right. So banks now, here's, you know, this this is a sector that unlike media is just, you know, for so long has been doing so incredibly well. Yeah. Plenty of people out there held shares in the bottom drawer for a long, long, long time and just made squillions and squillions and squillions for a whole bunch of reasons we probably don't have time to go into. (laughs) Um, But ANZ and NAB released their half-yearly results uh, Mm -hmm. throughout the week, and uh, it was a little bit soft. Mark was a bit disappointed. Um, We actually saw shares pull back a little bit. Of course, it was another case of record profit, but (laughs) the increases weren't as much as people were expecting. and this is an interesting one. Banks are always very controversial. Um, but you're looking at companies here, both of them 
like dividend yields, what, five and 6%, both fully franked. So yep. Really, really, really attractive. Um, that's got to be tempting, doesn't it? It's a really good question. I mean, you know, for, for the banks, this is a story of, you know, the, the past and whether the future looks like the past. Mm. The past has been unquestionably spectacularly good. Mm. And it's been driven largely on the back of house price increases. And you said we won't go into it. We won't go into too much detail. But effectively, banks, you know, the, the combination of a very cozy oligopoly with very few players mm -hmm. and, and a decent amount of pricing power as part of that story. Yeah. Um, part of the story is they took over the little guys. So the Bank Wests and the Wizard Home Loans and the Aussies mm -hmm. are now part of the big mm -hmm. guys. Um, and frankly, the house prices have just gone through the roof and are continuing to do that. So that's the underpinning the growth of these guys. Mm. The challenge is that those things can't continue. And so the question is, what does the future Not look like? Not at the same pace. And yeah. I think that's right. And I think mm. that's, that's the key challenge. If you can only grow your profits at a couple of percent, despite the fact that house prices are growing at double digit rates, mm. there's something to say when this party stops, it's going to be very, very hard for the banks to continue. The hardest part for ANZ and, and NAB in particular was their, they call them net interest margins, without going to the mm. horrible gobbledygook on, on air. Net interest margins is the amount of money left over after all the bills have been paid. Is it, you could say the difference between what it costs you to borrow money versus what you can lend that money out. Totally, totally. So you know they take term deposits at 3%, lend it out at 4%, the difference is 1%. And that's kind of their net interest margin. That used to be the old saying in the banking industry, 363, borrow at three, lend out at six, and on the golf course by three. Wasn't, <laughs> wasn't go, it nice. something like that? That was the good old days. I um so look that yeah so that's that's the story right that's right. the interest margins the difference that's actually been contracting so despite the record growth in in house prices despite um uh, you know effectively record low interest rates mm. the competition for the banks and their funding sources I mean those margins are being squeezed and that's the hard part if you think about yeah. despite that growth they're getting margin squeeze plus they need more capital requirements yeah. too from a regulatory standpoint yeah, that's got to yeah. make their profitability a little bit harder i don't blame anyone for having banks in their portfolio we, we've recommended nab in one of our services an income focused service um as a very small part of a portfolio that makes some sense mm. um but i have to say i think most australian particularly older australians and i don't mean to insult anyone here but if you've been in the market for a little while you bought the banks that the mm. at the listings or you had them for a while the average Australian portfolio, I think, is something like 45% banks. Yeah. And so that's a really, a really worry. enormous risk. I think yeah. I, I'm not I'm not outright expecting calamity for the banks. I'm mm. a bit bearish on their ability to beat the market over the next 10 years, mm. I have to say. Mm. But no matter what, if you have 40% of your portfolio in one, sec one sector, you are taking an enormous amount of risk. That concentration is just simply not, not smart, quite frankly. And I get why people say, well... I could have said that 10, 15, 20 years ago, and that's also mm, true. Mm. But if your job is to make sure you have a decent retirement portfolio, mm. not take any un unnecessary risks, yeah. I think having a concentrated portfolio with the banks as the as the very, very large core of that is a, a very unnecessary they risk. They all take. share. It's like having 40% in the one company, isn't right, it? Right, you right, right. Different though they are in, in parts. You know, this is the thing that's that's I think I've mentioned before on the podcast. For me, it's 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 not about trying to predict an, an imminent collapse or even a, a slump, but yep, it, it's yep. that it's that asymmetry of 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 possibilities in the sense that maybe we just continue to muddle through for the next three five years, and it turns out I get a decent yield, yep. you know, a little bit of growth, and, and everything's great. But that's kind of the best case scenario. Totally. And the worst case scenario is, well, you know, maybe there's a slump in the housing market, you know, business lending dries up even further, et cetera, et cetera. And then you really get, you know, some potentially big downside there. So I think when Sydney and Melbourne house prices are up 15, 18% and you're getting 2% growth in profits or 2% decline in profits, yeah, that tells you exactly where the risk sits in terms of future returns is there's no possible way house prices continue to grow at that sort of rate. Mm. And if they don't, how can banks maintain the current level of profitability, which is already pretty mediocre in terms of growth? If house price growth is 5 or 6% rather than 10 or 15, yeah. um, it just doesn't make sense. Okay, so uh, it's a pass on the banks.
Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's talk about the federal budget. Um, Federal budget is coming up next week. It's going to capture a lot of uh, uh, media attention, uh, except from Fairfax, uh, because they're going to be on strike. Um, But uh, everyone else is going to be covering it. And and I guess understandably so. It it impacts a lot of us. Probably you would argue all of us uh, to some varying degrees. Oh, we know uni fees uh, are going to go up. Uh, we know private school funding is changing. Mm-hmm. Um, what else are we on the lookout for here? I guess for, from a um, more so from a financial perspective. Totally, from an investor's perspective. Look, the, the, the question really right now is we don't really know what to expect. And the, the, the big changes, I guess there's a couple of things that have been big, big hot button issues right now. Um, the first for investors specifically is what happens to negative gearing when it comes to housing. And so we're, we, we generally invest in shares that might be full. We know many of our listeners probably have invested in properties. Um, when it comes to how properties are taxed, that's a big question that may or may not be resolved at the budget. Um, there's every chance, based on the commentary from Scott Morrison and Malcolm Turnbull, that it won't be changed. I can't imagine it will be. But that's Political suicide, surely. Well, maybe. Then again, they changed the private school rule. So I, you know, I, I don't think it's likely, but it's, again, it's something to be careful of. The second thing that's being highlighted for investors is the capital gains tax discount. Now, if you've, uh, if you've held an asset for more than 12 months, mm-hmm. you only pay tax on half of that gain. Um, effectively, investors say, well, it's half the tax rate, which it kind of is effectively, but mm. the official rule is half the gain. So if you hold an asset for 12 months, you make a hundred buck profit, you only pay tax on half of that profit. So half of the profit effectively is tax-free. The rest is taxed at your marginal tax rate. So that's a really big discount for investors. Um, cost the budget a lot of money, quite frankly. And so there's also concern about, you know, is that necessary for investors? Is it, is it required? Will that be changed? That's the, the, the second kind of consideration and watch out for, for the budget. Um, and then just more generally, I think that the risk or, or the potentially opportunity for investors is what happens more broadly across the board with the way taxation is levied. So things like um, deductions and expenses, that kind of stuff. So thinking about the broad mix of policy uh, what do they say? What's the, what's the jargon? I won't bother. Um, the policy settings, that's what I was trying to say. Policy settings. Um, so, yeah, just for investors, think about, there you yeah. go. think about how that might work and not work and just you know keeping keep an eye on that. So negative gearing, capital gains tax, and possibly stamp duty, they're the three things I'd be looking out for. There has been talk for property investors about some sort of national approach to a house vacancy tax is the last one. So, again, those are the things I think, I don't think any of them are necessarily likely, quite frankly. No, but they're the things we'll be watching out for when it comes to the budget. Let's play what ifs. Yes. Uh, let's say they do. Let's yes. say let's say they do change some of these things. Uh, your capital gains discount is reduced. Uh, you can't negatively gear anymore. Does that really change how you sort of approach investing? It doesn't change how I approach investing, but many investors should think again about how they are approaching their investing mm-hmm. because for a lot of people, the tax becomes a central component of what they're doing. In fact, many investors it's ask about the tax first and the returns after that, right? Cra- I've, I've, had, I've had people in the past complain because their shares went up a lot because, yeah. oh, now I have to pay a lot of tax. <laughs> what does Buffett say? Send exactly. them my way. Let me unburden them. Exactly. You know? If you're someone who hasn't got ahead with a great, great investment idea because of the tax he might pay if he's successful, send him my way. Let me unburden him. In other yeah. words, you know what? If you make if you make hundred bucks, you got to pay twenty five bucks in tax max. It's a nice problem to have, right? Oh, like, great, better than the alternative. You can <laughs> lose a bunch of money and right, then not right, pay right. any tax. You get a tax credit. So here's the thing, Andrew. If I offered you a million dollar profit mm. and said you had to pay a quarter of that, two hundred fifty thousand dollars in tax. Yep. And I changed the rules tomorrow. I said actually, no, you can only have the million dollars if you pay me half a million bucks in tax. I will still take. Of course, I won't be happy about it. But it's better than the alternative, right? The accountants listening to this right now will be very familiar with this. People don't walk into their office and say. Can you please help me maximize my after-tax return? No, no, no. People walk into the account and say, 
can you just help me pay less tax, please? Yes. Which is just like, honestly, it's the dumbest <laughs> thing. In the, I, really I, get, I get the human nature part, right? Yeah. Kerry Packer famously said that, you know, um, the government isn't spending it so well that people should be donating extra. So <laughs> I, I get not paying more tax than you have to. But walking, if you listen to this now and you go to your accountant tomorrow, next week, next year, or your financial planner, please do yourself a favor, do them a favor and don't walk in and say, how can I pay less tax? Walk in and say, how can I maximize my after-tax return? That is the only thing that matters. Money in the pocket. Indeed, indeed. Absolutely. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Jeez, man, the time has just raced along. We haven't talked about iron ore yet, so let's dive into (laughs) iron ore. Iron ore. Your favorite uh, metal. Uh, my favorite metal. The metal that somehow you think everyone else thinks is well, their favorite a stra- metal as well. It's a, it is a st- Australia's favorite metal. It is our major uh, export. It is the budget's favorite metal. We, put it that way. we have got tons and tons of it, we megatons do. of it. And uh, it, it's a very important part of the economy. It was over 94 US a ton yep. uh, not that long ago. I think late last year. Uh, late last year. Mm. And now it's uh, it's it started to fall, yeah. And it started to fall pretty hard, actually. So that's got implications, obviously, for the miners on the share market, yeah. and also for uh, the economy and the budget, right. uh, et cetera, et cetera. Is this something that's just normal, a part of the normal vicissitudes of commodity pricing, or is this something? Or are we getting to that that lovely phrase, the new normal? Can you spell vicissitudes? No. no. Okay. So <laughs> the, uh, the, look, the iron ore story is, is, a, is a funny one. This is, you can barely say that. <laughs> this is the problem with, oh God, because we're running out of time, I'm not going to have a big, big rant. Okay. Here's the thing. When it costs you four or 30, $25 to dig a ton of iron ore out of the ground and get it on a ship, mm-hmm. and when it's selling for 90 bucks, yep. you make a lot of money. Right. And anybody else with a shovel and a bit of land yeah. is going to dig up the iron ore as well. Yeah, of course. And so even if they're doing it at $70 cost. Right. You know, right. And so still money. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Mm. So this is honestly I, I've never looked into it but I'm and I'm not a, I'm not an options trader or a shorter but every time the iron ore price gets to some sort of stupid level the maths of it says it can't possibly last. It's people it's traders trying to bet on what might happen next in the very very short term. Yeah. The reality is that with any commodity product like iron ore like anything else airline seats the price of the of the price of the thing we're talking about the product Will fall to roughly the marginal cost of production plus a bit. Yep. If it, if the average cost of getting that iron ore out of the ground across the world is thirty five bucks a ton, and you can supply all of the world's needs without pushing your costs above that, yeah. the price will move back towards that plus a little bit extra for some sort of you know investment return. Yeah. So maybe it's forty bucks a ton, forty five yep. bucks a ton. Mm. When it's ninety five dollars a ton, if you're buying the miners or you're buying iron ore at that sort of price. You are barking mad. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm not surprised it's fallen. It deserves to fall. It always will do. Mm. These things do revert to, to the mean. They revert to mm. close to the cost of production. Mm. It just makes... It, it, if you sell Coke, you can sell Coke at more than the average soft drink because it has something different about it. Mm-hmm. It's got a brand, a flavor, a taste, an aspiration, right? That makes, Coke is that means you can, Right. Yep. Coke is life, all that sort of good stuff. Yep. <laughs> um, you, can, you can charge more for it. Obesity, when you're selling, diabetes. <laughs> when you're selling the same ton of iron ore that you're selling the same ton that I'm selling, yeah. that Jack over there, that Jill over there is selling, it's a ton of iron ore. It costs the yeah. same. It does the same thing. It goes on the same ship. You can't get a premium for it. And so it just makes no sense. If I can get Fortescue mining at the mid-teens per ton, yeah. and you're selling for 90 good on them, they, they bloody well deserve getting whatever money they can get. But yeah. there's no reason why the iron ore price should be anywhere near, you know, Probably should have a four in front of four. Yeah, 40, 45, so further 50, to fall, maybe. Further oh, yeah. To fall, yeah. Well, 
it, here's the thing, it should, right? Markets yeah. can do stupid things for a very long time. Yeah. There is absolutely no reason why anyone should expect the iron ore price to stay above 50 bucks over the long term. Yeah. Okay. We better wrap it up there. We're out of time. Thank you again, Mr. Phillips. Thank you, Mr. Page. Always a pleasure. Don't forget that you can subscribe to Triple M Motley Fool Money through uh, your favorite uh, Android podcast app or through iTunes as well. And you should. And you should. And please give us a nice rating if you would be so Leave kind. us a comment. Say some nice things. Yes. Uh, and anyone who wants to say anything nasty, well, I guess you could do that too. I was, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> what am I saying? I'm not sure. I'm not... Look, all news is good news. Take a Apparently. hike. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> if you're going to do that, take a hike. If you hate, <laughs> out. If you hate listening to us, keep doing it by all means. We like the numbers, <laughs> but don't tell anybody else. And that's how you alienate your audience. <laughs> Until next time, full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.